yum nub. Eat out the yum nub. I told me to be chicken. Gonna fucking go. Hello and welcome to Yubcast, your Star Wars cartoon podcast. My name is Matt, and well, you know what makes us different from battle droids? We make our own decisions, our own choices, and we have to live with them too. <laughs> and my name's Jamie, and you know you can't trust those little freaks. I figured out how to inject a little, because <laughs> there's a little bit of racism in this episode. I figured I would just add a little more. Yeah, so before we get into it, we're doing, we're still on our Clone Wars walk, and today we're doing uh, our 25th episode of Clone Wars Review, uh, Season 1, Episode 20, um, Innocence of Ryloth. Uh, so Jamie's comment about racism will make more sense in a little bit, I think. Um, but before we get into the review, um, we've had we've had a couple weeks off of recording, just because of travel and stuff. I was in Europe, um, but I'm back. Um, did you do any Star Wars in the past couple weeks? I really have not. Um, I'm sorry, I'm pretty lame. Just haven't, um, I don't say I haven't had time. I've had plenty of time, just, just had nothing, nothing going on. And just like I told you, just trying to help my parents with the remodel, and I, I injured myself. So, and there's just been nothing new out. Um, so I've just been pretty lame as far as Star Wars is concerned. Uh, how about you? Yeah, there's not. There hasn't been a lot released lately um, from like a book or book or um, TV show point of view. But I we're in the new year, um, and I started a project this year where I'm going to power through a bunch of Legends books. I never, I never really paid attention to the novels, the old legends continuity, um, and so I, I just got a list of legends books, in chronological order, in universe chronological order, and the first one's Into the Void, and I read that last year. That's the one that takes place like thirty thousand years ago, compared to the Battle of Yavin, and it's like pre hyperspace, pre lightsaber, pre Jedi Sith split sort of stuff. So um, that's very strange Star Wars, but they're making a movie now about that time period. So that's exciting. They it are. was a good book, though. Yeah, that's the whole like Dawn of the Jedi stuff. I didn't I didn't know that they were. Oh, we need to, we need to talk about movies next week, maybe. Um, but all the movies that are in there are four movies that are supposedly under development. We'll just do it right now real quick. There's Dawn of the Jedi, which is supposedly set tens of thousands of years in the past compared to A New Hope. There's the Ray New Jedi Order movie. Okay. There's the there's the announced Mando and Grogu movie. Maybe a replacement for season four. Yeah, is that really gonna be the name, The Mandalorian and Grogu? I doubt it. Like, okay. I don't know the name of this at all, but <laughs> Yeah. We, maybe we should give them some suggestions. <laughs> um Yeah, Turner and Hooch. <laughs> um so there's those three, and then there's the Air of the Empire movie, supposedly like the Ahsoka Thrawn follow-up. But there, but who knows what what actually will materialize out of that list because they have a very bad track record of delivering on movies they've announced. Yeah, yeah, like how? So, what's that? Yeah, like um, yeah, there's uh, Rogue Squadron that uh, that disappeared. Um, and then, I mean, there's nine. There's nine of them that I can think that I made a list of the other day that that never that were announced and at one level or another that we are pretty sure aren't going to be made. 
So like Ryan Ryan Johnson had a trilogy. There was like the Game of Thrones guys. They're oh. gonna make one. Oh yeah, they got. I know for certain they got dumped. Isn't I think Ta- uh, isn't Taika Waititi supposed to be doing a a Star Wars movie? He, he teases it all the time, and it's been announced that he's doing one, but there's no there's no details about it. And so if you want to keep that on the list, like I guess that means there's five movies in development. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. These three, there's three of those movies that have supposed release dates too, and they're all in like 26 and 27. I think it's like, I think, yeah, I think it's like one in at Christmas of 26, and then May of 27, and Christmas of 27 is what was proposed, which is insane because that's too cl- that's too close together. Yeah, I I hate the idea that I'm going to be really old by then, but um, <laughs> trying to do, try not to do the math. Yeah, I um. Well, I, yeah, my, my funny. My son and I were talking about this earlier that there's been no movies lately, and I was just like, yeah, I just think that they they can tell better stories with the um, with the um, with the series, but I'm sure that the movies make a lot more money. Um, so maybe maybe they just need some time to kind of get uh, get a really good Star Wars movie out there or get people hyped up again about Star Wars. And going to see it in the theaters. I think making a Ray movie is smart. I think making like a really off-speed movie, like like Dawn of the Jedi sort of thing, get weird with it, you know, mm-hmm. could be really interesting. And if it works, then you you blew, you blew it wide open, right? Um, makes sense to make a follow-up movie to sort of the Mandoverse, but I don't know if like the Mando movie and or the Empire movie are supposed to be the same movie or different movies. I don't know. The problem is, is that there's too many rumors and there's too little follow through. That's the bottom line. Yeah, and and like all the the a lot of the rumors are just BS, just a holes spouting BS just to for for clicks and whatnot. It's um it's really frustrating. Well, I mean the the clickbait garbage from the past couple of weeks was that the Ray movie had already been canceled. <laughs> And and Disney had to come out and say that's not true. Disney and Lucasfilm came out and said no, it's still in development. Like the director hasn't quit, we haven't fired anybody. Daisy Ridley's still attached. Like that's still happening. And that that whole thing just pissed me off to no end. It's like just let them do their thing. Like, part of the reason why we have all these false starts is because people need to like report on these rumors and things, and it's tough. And so I, I've taken the stance that pretty much until I've seen a trailer, um, it doesn't exist. Yeah. Still seen, at this point, it is January 21st. We still haven't seen a Bad Batch Season 3 trailer. Yeah. And I'm, I'm getting frustrated with the constant, like, like uh, just trailers from, like, uh, YouTubers that, like, it will like look look super official at first. And then you're like, oh, oh this is just some this is just some asshole. Which, um, kudos to them for a little bit for being able to do that sort of thing. I wish I had the time and patience to do that sort of thing, but I, I just get tired of just kind of like, um, just like like fake shit online. I I kind of long for like like that like when that like episode seven trailer came out, just like refreshing the page, refreshing the page, refreshing the page, and like I had to like download some stuff on Apple to be able to get it, and then and then seeing it, and I'm just like. 
holy cow, I'm sweating my pants. And now, and now like every Star Wars everything uh, news. Yeah, we don't have we don't have trailers for anything coming up, right? We don't have like anything from Skeleton Crew, anything from Andor, anything from Bad Batch. Nothing, no hints about what Tale of the Jedi is going to be about this time. But anyway, I we got way off topic already, but <laughs> I I want them to go back to the theater. I want them to spread it out, and I want the theatrical re- releases to be one thing they do, not the only thing they do. Yeah, as long as they don't try to pack a ton of crap into into one thing, just just make it one one fun thing. You can leave certain things open ended, but don't try to like jam everything in. Don't don't try to jam um, like Lord of the Rings into like one movie. Like you can't, or, or like Dune. Just right. Take your time. Yeah. Or just take a really small thing and spread it out super long and make it awful, like Hot the Hobbit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was just talking with Chris or with my wife tonight about um, getting the kids to watch The Hobbit. I've actually never seen this version of The Hobbit, so I want to. I want to do it. But it's it's all right. It's it's uh, the first the first one's good. The second one I don't really remember that much and the third one i don't really remember that much at all either um and i tried i bought the hobbit for my son a few christmases ago and he hated it yeah we've talked about this that's a shame it's a it hurts um anyway back to what i did for star wars um so i've started this this legends book series in order so i did into the void is the first book in the end universe order it takes place like 30,000 years ago. I've already read it. I read it last year. So I went to the next book, which is um, Revan. And so I read the Revan book while I was in Europe. It was my walking around audio book when I was in Europe. I really liked that book. And made me, I told you, it made me want to go back and play KOTOR. Yeah. Because Revan, Malik, and everybody is in that book, but it sort of dances around the video game plot a lot. And Revan goes on a quest to find the Sith Emperor, and bad things happen to Revan. It's a very good book. I recommend it, especially if you're into that really weird stuff from KOTOR. And now I'm reading the book Deceived, which is the next book in the series, and it's about Malgus. Um, so Darth Malgus and his his efforts to overthrow the Republic. And uh, yeah, I don't know yeah. if you've, you've played those games, but I don't think you've read those books. Yeah, no, I... I have a I have a tough time with things that aren't uh, canon. Um, I I don't want to seem like I'm a snob, but I mean I'm sure I would enjoy them after if just after a bit. Just if it's it's a good story, it's a good story. But it would just be it would probably take me a little bit to like just accept. Okay, this isn't really canon. But just just listen anyways, because I guess I guess my stance there is I know they're not canon. I know it's a different bar, but it's still star wars right it's it's the same level of star wars as like visions is um and they're obviously drawing source material from this stuff and so understanding the legends continuity will only deepen my appreciation of star wars and i can keep them separate in my mind and there's in and i guess i still have the feeling like there's nothing if there's nothing that contradicts it then there's no problem thinking that it's canon also, Revan happened like four thousand years ago. So, 
and if there's if there's a Legends character that they're going to bring into Star Wars, it's going to be that. Yeah. It's going to be that guy before they bring in, like, Starkiller or somebody else. Right, it's, yeah. It's like, there's a tweet from Pablo Hidalgo at some point a couple years ago now, where he said, he said there's, like, the Star Wars universe has almost 40,000 years of history written in it. He's like, no, in, no single person in universe could possibly know that history right and so and so if there's inconsistencies in like the storytelling like there's more history written about the star wars universe than there is about the human like mankind so it's it's easy like we get shit wrong about egypt all the time right we have no fucking clue what it was like to be an egyptian mm-hmm. right and so like why would we expect like luke skywalker to know what it was like to live on tython like there's no fucking way Anyway, I'll, I'll get off my soapbox. I'm I'm enjoying this project a lot. It's giving me a ton of Star Wars to explore, and a reason to go back and read some of these books I've skipped. Um, and so I've already finished three Star Wars books this year. That's the 21st of January. So I will keep going. Other than that, I'm doing a ton of customizing. Like I'm playing with all all of these 3D printed action figures. Um, so there's that. But that's all I've done. For Star Wars this past couple of weeks. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I'm jealous of your um, custom action figures and having the time and like space to do all that stuff, especially like the painting and stuff. I just don't have the patience. It's a good use of my time in meetings that I have to attend, but I don't have to talk at. <laughs> I got a box of acrylic paints by my desk and like an old water bill, so I just squirt some paint out under the water bill and paint a couple of pieces of um, like an arm or a torso and if I just do that every every day after a few months I've got a whole pile of painted action figures. I'm, also, I'm actually getting sort of good at it too. So it's, so it's sort of fun. Cool. Alright. So Anything else you want to talk about? Uh, you know, I mean I could talk forever but we should probably get uh, to the actual episode. That's why people tuned in, I assume. I assume. Do you want me to... Um, we are doing this summary this week, but I, I told you before we started recording that I didn't, the cast is pretty normal. We've covered most of them or, or we have the opportunity to cover them in the future. I sort of ran out of time today for the notes, so I'm going to skip the cast and crew this week. So I guess if you want to go into the summary, you can just go right into the summary. All right. So, uh, today we're going over Innocence of Ryloth. Season 1, episode 20, uh, aired on March 6, 2009. Okay, so the little fortune cookie stinger at the beginning is the costs of war can never be truly accounted for. So the show opens up saying that Wat Tambor has taken control of uh, the planet Ryloth and recaps the previous episode. And we know that there are Twi'lek hostages. So Obi-Wan is meeting with Mace and says that they have their work cut out for him. Mace says that Obi-Wan needs to take the city of Nabat so they can land the rest of their forces. Then they can march on the capital city. Wat Tambor calls a tactical droid, and this is the first appearance of the tactical droids. The tactical droid is told not to let the Jedi forces land. 
droid implies that they have cannons to repel any assault, and the Jedi cannot take out the cannons because they are using the Twi'leks as human shields. On the dropships, Obi-Wan tells the clones that they are here to liberate the Twi'leks, so they are not going to use explosives, just blasters and poppers. Two clones make a racist comment about tailheads. So this is the... This is kind of why like, I had chosen uh, that quote about Han Solo being a grumpy old guy stuck in his ways about Kedgy Club. Yeah, so so I I was a little bummed out by this, like a little exchange here. But uh, I looked it up, and there's actually a lot of um, derogatory slang used by the clones, especially in the first season. Um, they refer to aliens as freaks and tailheads and other words. Um, and I found, I was trying to figure out if this was intention, like how intentional this was. And I did find an interview with one of the writers that basically said that, that after this episode where they're calling them tailheads, um, they decided to sort of drastically reduce the racism of the clones, like the passive racism of the clones, and it's sort of a point of gro- mostly a point of growth in this episode that they start out like, like uh, fuck these natives, right? Like they should stay out of our way, and uh, ending up with like a genuine connection at the end with one of them. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's that's how the way people talk, whether it's soldiers or somebody who works at, at a restaurant. You talk shit about the customers because. You're just, I mean, it's a way to kind of, uh, you're complaining about your job by complaining about the people you have to uh, deal with at your job. Right. It's just sort of a a bummer, but I just wanted to point out that there's a literary reason that they did it um, and and that they pretty much stopped doing it at Mm -hmm. at this point. Yeah. There might be a couple, I'm sure there's other examples in the future, but they make the clones more compassionate from this point forward. Yeah, I, I can understand them, too, just being kind of like, um, like it, it seems like a good idea, but then afterwards it's kind of like, yeah, um, let's let's ease up on the uh, on the racism a little bit, but let's keep let's let's keep the uh, different voices for different races, though. That was a joke. Gotta do, yeah, gotta <laughs> do something. I mean, like I know you're, I know it's a joke, but you you have to telegraph something. Yeah. Right? Okay. It's, it's just not great. Hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, the uh, battle droids tell the tactical droid that the ships are in range and they open fire. They take out uh, a cruiser before Mace retreats and tells Obi-Wan that they will not attempt to land before Obi-Wan takes out the cannons. Oh, the dropships take some fire, but Obi-Wan and the clones are unloaded into a forest outside of the city of Nabat. The tactical droid tells the battle droids to prepare for their ground assault. So one thing I always find interesting is when when there's scenes like this, is that like all of a sudden just and it is not just Star Wars, but like where like there's like a um like some sort of like aerial insertion or something where it's just all of a sudden just like one of the other ships blows up, and it's like that could have easily been the hero's ship. Yeah. So. I was I was debating when to put this in here, but since we're talking about it, and I really love this shot, um, this is this is their invasion of Normandy. Um, they wanted they wanted this to be Saving Private Ryan, beginning of Saving Private Ryan, and you can sort of if you, once you know that, and you get to the droid popper scene coming up in a second, 
it's the machine gun nest scene in Saving Private Ryan. They've obviously toned down the violence a lot, but they wanted stakes. They wanted like a cruiser to get shot down. They wanted the troop transports to get shot down. But they're basically um, like everybody's seen Saving Private Ryan, right? So mm-hmm. this is their this opening is supposed to be Saving Private Ryan for them. And once you know it, it you can see how it's inspired. Yeah, I um, yeah, I found it very, um, um, yeah, it's very kind of like visceral, because it's like yeah, in the same way that 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 Saving Private Ryan opening is right, it's just it's just terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, and I'm not have these clones been these type of clones been seen before, but they're like um, they're all um, this uh, like Commander Cody's um, style of um, like. The, the like the, or, the is it I mean, more like orange but like some some of them have like like different um different highlights but they're all like orange um and like they've got like the helmets look different than than what I'm thinking than I remember Cody's being um they have a little bit like a flare at the bottom oh yeah I was noticing that too I think I think they're so we're still in the era of phase one clones, but I think we're moving toward phase two clones. And I don't know if it was intentional or not, but um, it's sort of an in-between or the flare might be something in between, I guess. Mm-hmm. But good call. Yeah. Cause they end up having, well, yeah, I don't know. I guess this is, it's kind of cool to see the evolution, but I, I had a really tough time getting over the, the, the helmets, but um, anyways, not super important. So, um, I like, I was looking at, sorry, I was looking at clone helmets and then I couldn't find the, the tab. All right. Um, a firefight breaks out with the clones and Obi-Wan uh, is pushing up in the edges of the city. There are two bunkers with B1 battle droids shooting repeating rifles from a superior position. They try to throw a droid popper in the bunker and miss. Uh, Obi-Wan uses the force to land the poppers in the two bunkers uh, to get rid of the droids. I really like this use of the force here mm-hmm. because they're it's one of those things where we, we give them shit all the time for forgetting they can use the force. And yeah. there's a there's a, a scene where I think Boyle or Waxer throws a popper and it just plinks off of the wall and falls back toward them. Which isn't a big deal except they wasted one. You know, we one just like, I'll do it. Yeah. And they threw it up there and he just uses his hand and pushes it into the bunker and it works. I just love droid poppers too. I love the whole conceit of the show that like we're not going to destroy the city, we're going to go in and be tactical. Yeah. And then they use these really spe- specific weapons against the droids. Well, it makes me wonder why couldn't they just like drop a bunch of droid poppers where the cannon is, where the cannons were? Don't think too hard. <laughs> Sorry. It's Normandy, dude. It's Normandy. They need to establish the beachhead. Yeah. Those actions clear. We'll see you on the beach. So uh, the tactical droid gets an update that the Jedi has secured the edge of the city. He tells the droids to determine how the Jedi will proceed. The droids uh, release some small probe droids. Obi-Wan then orders Cody to send some... um, I I thought this was actually funny. He says, like, Obi-Wan orders uh, Cody to send out his best men to scout ahead. Um, Cody then tells... uh, to um, troopers Boyla and Waxer that they're going to be sent out, and and they say, I guess we're the best. It's 
Yeah, I I 100% agree. I love this is my favorite line of the episode because it's just so it's like shrugging your shoulders and he's like I guess for the best. Yeah. <laughs> it just it's a very funny delivery. It's a very funny exchange. And it's it's totally believable. I could totally hear someone saying that. Yeah. Uh, at the same time though like it it's it's very kind of cliché that's always like give me your best men. It's like no, I'll give you some of my okay guys cuz I need my best men for when we actually fight. I'll give you my best expendable men. Yes. Waxer and Boyle, get out there. I guess we're the best. <laughs> you just, but you oh. said we were the best. Okay, but that was in the battlefield. We got to talk, talk about your typing skills. <laughs> you, you're not very good at uh, cleaning the porter shitters. We've seen, we've seen all the dicks you draw in there. They're not good. I'm sure you're laughing on the inside. Anybody who's in yeah, the... Sorry, I was on mute. A fly landed in my beer. God damn it. A little fruit fly. Shit. I haven't seen a fruit fly in this house ever. That's a bad sign. Mm. Yeah, it's do probably, you... like, threw a apple core in the corner. Your kids, the, uh, the, the known litter bugs. Yes, well, well-known eco-terrorists. Yeah. They probably wipe their boogers everywhere, too. Yeah. Johnny Appleseed, eco-terrorists. <laughs> okay. So, um... So Boyle and Waxer are sent out with uh, Cody and Willie. They separate, and Wax and Boyle go to the south, while Cody and Willie go to where the guns are. Cody sees the hostages and how they're using them as human shields. Cody reports, but the probe droid spies on them, and now the tactical droid knows that Kenobi is leading the assault. He is known for his deceptive maneuvers. So, so Boyle and I, like, Ma- I like the description of Kenobi being deceptive, because that is something Dooku would say about him. Yeah. So Boyle and Waxer are still exploring the city when they come across a young girl named Numa, a Twi'lek with green skin. She signals to the clones that there's a probe droid, and they decide to take her, but she's afraid of them. They remove their helmets to demonstrate that they aren't droids, but living clones. They offer her some food, which is like a protein bar, the same kind of protein bar that uh, Yoda steals from Luke, I assume. And... um, uh, she calls them uh, Nera. Waxer is far more sympathetic to the girl and he encourages her to follow them. Boyle just wants to keep going, but Nera follows them instead of being left alone. I, I like the. I'll just say this now so I don't forget it later. But I like the kind of the back and forth with them. Like they're they're both kind of well, one's a little bit more racist than the other, but they're very um, they're very compassionate. Even like the one who's kind of shitty, and has kind of a shitty attitude. Oil. Yeah, he he um he takes to uh, he takes to Numa. He he's like begrudgingly does like nice things. Yeah, now you can say that one of his best friends is Twilight. <laughs> so it's okay for him to say Tailhead. He's allowed to say it. <laughs> yes, he's gotten permission. <laughs> he can say it with a hard H. Okay. God damn it. <laughs> okay. So. All right, so back at the droid base, the slaves are surrounding the guns. The tactical droid is walking to a basin of some sort. A battle droid says that he starved the beasts as requested. Inside the cells are Gutker, a giant flea-like creature. These things are actually pretty cool and kind of scary looking. I read so much about these things, and everybody described them differently. What do you think they look like? Um, they look like short, fat T-Rexes, kind of, like at least their shape. Because they've got very like stubby arms, but big beefy 
like legs, but they're smaller. But they've got like weird. I don't know how to describe their head. Um, so, so one of the graphic, one of the designers described them as um, a smashed frog with an exoskeleton and raptor appendages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could. Uh, I could buy that. Yeah, they, they almost seem like they have like a shell. Right. Um, yeah, so they're pretty freaky, and I was trying to, I was wondering what they were called, because uh, like in the uh, the book Lords of the Sith, which takes place on Ryloth, there's these like terrifying monsters. Um, called those are called lilacs. Lilacs, yeah. I remember that it was a, it was a, it was difficult to understand um, because like lilacs are flowers, but these things are like, like like terrifying hunters. Uh, I always I always imagine the lilacs as being like, like like giant praying mantis sort of things, but I'll I'll look up what they see if they've ever drawn it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too, because I just it's very kind of like, not like kind of like a T Rex sort of thing or like a Velociraptor, but more kind of like a an insect a big insectoid monster. Um, so there is a drawing of one. I'm going to put it in Skype. All right, Ooh, I want to see this. It sort of looks like a crab with like tentacles and like a head. That is weird. It's got two weird like eye stalk eye stalks, but they're like they're like it, they look. It looks like two snake heads coming together, but there's an eye in each one. Yeah, people just go look this up. It's lilac l y l y l e k. Yeah. And it, it, oh wait, it makes sense that they would because uh, everything twilek two lek leku. So it has like the it has like like it has like who sort of like, like tentacles in the front, but it's very, I don't know, it's very weird, kind of frightening. Um, yeah, armored insects with stabbing limbs, poison tentacles. They hunt in packs and they'll travel for days to get fresh food. We might kill the first wave, but they could, but we couldn't keep them from coming back for long. That's one of the characters in um, Lords of the Sith describing them. Yeah, I've always wondered, like, why do how do people on planets like Ryloth like just like live normally when there's like these like horrible monsters, not like Godzilla types, but like things that could just like hunt in packs and kill and kill you. So I mean, I guess that they would have to live in like like high up cities or like ar- like armored walls or whatever to keep things like things like them out. Yeah, you either adapt or you die, right? So yeah. that's. That's like the the lesson of all biology, right? You just you don't have options, so so you you only you only get to meet the organisms that survived that crucible, right? Because everybody else died, mm-hmm. and they're they're the null set. So it's, it's 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 fatalistic. But how did they live? We don't know. But they figured it out somehow. Right? Yeah. They beat the megafauna over their planet. They they figured out a weakness, or they figured out a way to shield themselves, or they don't go to the part of the planet that animal lives on. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's sharks and lions and shit on our planet, and we made it. Yeah, that's true. All right. So um, I sent another. I sent another photo from the Legends tab. Yeah, I saw. Drawn from Legends tab, so it's sort of pretty cool. Yeah. Um, okay. So the tactical droid. Requests that one of them uh, to be released to see if it will eat a droid. It bites down on the battle droid, then spits it out. The tactical droid hypothesizes that the gut card need to eat flesh. They decide to release all the uh, 
Gutkers into the city to kill the clones. So back in the city with Waxer and Boyle, Waxer wonders what happened to Numa's family. Boyle thinks that they're probably dead. She disappears and reappears in front of them. Then she's it's clear that she's directing them to a location, but they are going in the same direction as the reconjoid. They chase after her and she runs into a building that appears to be bombed out. Boyle jokes that they can put binders on Numa if she's misbehaving. Which is kind of funny because the she is like bones she's like skin and bones. There's n- Yeah. It's it's a joke that doesn't even land in the episode. Mm-hmm. Right, it's meant to be like a brick of a comment. Yeah, but it's not. He says it in sort of a um, jokey way, trying to be like light. But it it land like at this point, like waxer is just like not funny. Dude. Yeah, yeah. So um, the building that she's led them to is her former home. Uh, it's partially destroyed, and uh, waxer finds a doll and gives it to Numa. She she starts to cry. And Newman whacks her hug. Boyle tells her that they'll keep her safe, and then Numa hugs Boyle as well. So, then back with Obi-Wan, Kobe reports that Waxer and Boyle never checked in. Um, actually, I want to go f- say something before this. The um, I really like the animation that they did because they had their shadows on the wall as they were like, I think they're like on the floor or just talking. You can see the clones' shadows on the wall. It was just a very cool detail i thought yeah there's a lot of like this is we'll talk about like this production order sort of episode but they were sort of fed up with the limitations put on them by the time they got to this episode and they're like like whatever you want just put it in it right and we'll talk about like the twilight mob and things later how it's different than the other alien mobs that we've seen in the past but but that detail, I didn't notice it, honestly, but the fact that that detail is in there is because they really took the leash off of the animators in this episode. Mm-hmm. They're like, do what you want. That that scene, I know that there's good shadows in that scene because the light is shining into the room and the pattern is a shadow on the wall, too, from like the, the tiles. And so it's just, it's just beautifully shot. They actually muted all of the colors in the city. They made them grayer to show that the city's dead, right? That that it lacks life and things. And it makes Numa like stick out more because her skin—I don't think I said it in the notes—but her skin is like bright green, um, which was one of the known Twilight colors. And so she really stands out against this sort of grayed-out, browned-out background of this dead city. Um, so it's a very effective juxtaposition. So then back with Obi-Wan, Kobe reports that Waxer and Boyle never checked in. Obi-Wan is worried and decides to send another signal. Obi-Wan also orders the troops to begin their march to the droid's base. The tactical droid then releases the gut curve. So back at, uh, or sorry, back at Numa's house, Boyle and Waxer get the transmission and they realize that they forgot to check in. Um, and then they start, uh, planning an, an excuse, uh, to uh, as to why that they um, <clears throat> why they forgot to check in, and then they are attacked by the gutker. They run back into the house and slam the door. The gutkers are ramming the door. Um, you can tell that yeah, they definitely have like some sort of exoskeleton. It shields them from the from the blast. Nuba shows them a trap door to an underground tunnel, and the three jump into the tunnel right as the the gutkers um, break in. So elsewhere in the city. 
Kobe and Obi-Wan and the rest of the clones are attacked by the Kutkar. It's pure chaos. Back at the droid base, the tactical droid is checking in with Wat Tambor, and the droid reports the forces are routed and they have a 742 to 1 chance of being successful in the offensive. Wat Tambor says he better be right, and the track tactical droid says he's always right because he's a droid. I love this use of these odds because there's always like the never tell me the odds line in Empire. Mm-hmm. This guy is basically like the anti C3PO. Yeah. He's like, he's like, of course we're going to win. It's 742 to 1 odds that we lose. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, unless they come across a, a young Twilight girl who happens to know the underground tunnel system, that's unlikely. Yeah. How, is, how could that possibly happen? In fact, it's, it's 1 out of 742 chance that that's going to happen. Yes. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah! That's, that's what it takes to, for a Twilight female who is green, who knows the tunnel system. There's plenty of green girls around, but one that knows the tunnel system, that's where you get the big odds. They're, that city is lousy with little green girls who don't know anything about the underground tunnel system. They're so worthless. Yeah, but you found the one. Yeah. You so. found the one, you found the one. Mm-hmm. Obi-Wan and the clones are, are, are losing to the Gutker. Obi-Wan all of a sudden uses the Force to control the beasts into a narrow, narrow passage in the mountain. He walks them under a stone, stone archway, and then he orders the clones to shoot the bridge, covering a cave-in in the ravine. Obi-Wan escapes, but the Gutker are trapped. Now, I, I like this scene a lot because they don't... It's not shown a lot, but they really... Um, really, like, really highlighted Obi Wan's speed with the Force. Just all of a sudden, he's there, and then all of a sudden, he's there. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, because they're well done. Yeah, they they show them doing fantastic things with the Force, but this is just like real time. He's just all of a sudden, just like he's like standing in front of one of the creatures. All of a sudden, he's off to the side, and it's just like, just like almost like like he teleported. It's I thought it was very cool. So then after. Um, um, they like see a manhole cover opening up, and they're like, "Oh no!" But Obi Wan tells them, "Don't shoot!" And Waxer and Boyle come out. Cody reprimands them, but they show Obi Wan and Cody Numa. Obi Wan understands why they are late, and Obi Wan begins to speak to Numa in her native language. She tells Obi Wan that she can lead them through the tunnels to the prisoners. Obi Wan says that Cody that they will need a distraction. Numa was probably like finally a non-idiot. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, someone can finally fucking speak. Yeah, and she just rats them out for being pieces of shit. <laughs> you gave me rotten protein bar. <laughs> All they did is just pick, pick their butts and play grab ass. They weren't actually late. They just didn't check in. <laughs> <laughs> fucking narc. <laughs> we would have been here sooner, but they found a stash of Twilight pornography. Or Twilight pornography. <laughs> There it is. Like the old uh, pornography in the woods, except there this time it's uh, pornography uh, in the underground tunnels. That's how all young Twilight boys find their pornographies for the first time. Gotta find it somewhere. <laughs> so uh, Obi-Wan and Numa with Waxer and, and Boyle make it to the compound. Obi-Wan sees the Twilight hostages. Cody is pushing the clone forces up to the edge of the base, and they open fire to generate a distraction so Obi-Wan can attack within the base and free the hostages. The clones are drawing all the fire and decide a retreat. A battle droid reports that the prisoners were freed and escaping. 
During the escape, Numa is reunited with her parents, with at least her father. Then Obi-Wan and Waxer and Boyle take control of one of the cannons and use it against the base now that the Twi'leks has, have escaped. They destroy the other cannons before the tactical droid uses a tank to destroy the cannon Obi-Wan was in, and they're thrown free of the cannon. Numa scenes Waxer thrown in the explosion, and she runs out into the fight. The other Twi'leks see this, and they tackle the tactical droid and rip it limb from limb. Mace lands on his cruiser and uh, says the real battle to free the world is now to be, is about to begin. Waxer and Boyle say goodbye to Numa. She calls them Nera, Nera, Nera. Waxer asks Obi-Wan, what does she mean? Obi-Wan replies, it means brother. And then uh, <clears throat> uh, little, little do they know that, uh, that uh, behind the scenes Anakin uh, gets the head of the battle droid so he can use it to to calculate odds for his uh, problematic gambling. That's what I would use it for. Yeah. <laughs> needs, needs to calculate odds. Yeah. Um, before we get to do you like it, I, I do want to, well, no, let's let's do the do you like it first. Did you like it? I did. I thought it was a good episode. It was very, there's, there's very little to none like, oh, come on, sort of moments. It it all kind of made sense. Not There wasn't a whole lot of suspension of disbelief other than just your normal Star Wars stuff, and um, it just it, it had a nice, good start and a nice nice finish. Yeah, so I was I liked it too. I, I thought it was a very solid episode. Maybe from like a thematic point of view, probably the best episode we've seen so far. Because um, we have a couple clones that have some real growth. We have the actual depiction of the horrors of war. Um, we have this pure innocent being who is victim of circumstance needs to be like have her own agency and be her own advocate and hero it's so good and the way that they used color and texture for storytelling it's top-notch star wars to me this is mm-hmm. a very good episode yeah i was um, um yeah go ahead i was say yeah i was really i was really pleased with this one it um um yeah, I, I don't know what else to say about it. It uh, it was very, um, it was just just overall good. They, they, even Waxer and Boyle weren't, um, um, they weren't like super super annoying, or and and they both survived. I was expecting, I was expecting one of them to die because usually like that's that's kind of the way it goes. The clones are just expendable. Um, um don't worry. Uh, if you wanted them to die, uh, we'll get there. Uh, no, I wanted them to live. Uh, too bad. Um, because these guys, uh, go on to other episodes and, um, they're in the unit in the Ponk Krell arc. I'll put it that way. Oh no. But, yeah. But, they, was, but wasn't that Anakin's? Like the so five, the five. Obi Wan was also there, right? So they, there's two units, and and Pong Krell makes them fight each other. If you remember. Oh, that's right. So we see Waxer and um, uh, Boyle in future episodes. Yeah. Um. Also, I noticed that. Um, I just noticed this now because I was just trying to look that like, Cody, Waxer, and Boyle are the only ones that have the highlights, the orange highlights. Uh, on their armor, 
Um, and I thought that Boyle had a goatee, but he's actually got like a, a Fu Manchu. Yeah, he's got a Fu Manchu. Um, if we're gonna if we're gonna get into the clone designs, um, there's continuity errors in this episode. As much as they cared about the the look of this episode, there's a couple continuity errors, and one of them is a clone armor. And so during the Normandy scene where they're storming up to the edge of the village, um, Obi Wan turns to wax her and says that he's going to help him throw the popper. And it shows Obi Wan and it cuts back to Waxer, and he is not the clone that Obi Wan is talking to. It does not have yellow highlights. It is a Phase One clone with no color. So that his color disappeared at some point. So huh. that's a continuity. That's a continuity error. But you're right that they have they have nothing. Like they're the only ones that have the yellow mm-hmm. in the in the group, and it's not super consistent. Um, when they're yellow and when they're not, but they're meant to stand stand out. That's what makes them the best, I guess, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I wonder if that's like, um, like maybe they're like they're the only survivors. All the new guys just haven't had a chance to uh, paint their armor yet, or haven't earned the right to. I'm texting you a photo of one of my customs that I was painting or going to paint this week. Because I received a custom of Numa. And she even has her little doll. So, that's sort of fun. Oh, that's cool. That is really cool. Yeah. So I'll put I'll put photos. We have a we have a Twitter feed just for customs, like the toy stuff I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always retweet it to Yubcast. So if you just follow Yubcast on Twitter, you can see all the custom stuff, um, all the custom toys and things. Uh, I'm going to do the other continuity error, even though it's sort of out of order here. Um, when Obi-Wan is fighting the Gutkers, he drops his lightsaber, and Cody later hands it to him. But when he's in the mountain pass, after he's dropped his lightsaber, it's on his belt. Hmm. It's like hooked to his belt. These are just minor things. Um, it's very clear that this that this story... I told you before the recording that Dave Filoni, at one point at least, gave an interview saying that this is his favorite episode. Of Clone Wars. Yeah, I can see why. It's um, it's very well done. It's definitely it's definitely something to be proud of. Yeah. So so this idea um, of a child being rescued by the clones from a war torn area was in the original pitches for why this series should be made. And so this is something that Dave Filoni pitched, according to him, at quote unquote the first meeting they ever had about this about what stories they could tell. And he wanted to tell a story where a child was in danger and the clones stepped in and saved it. And, and so when he was talking about this particular episode in these interviews, he was very adamant that this is a story that he always wanted to tell. And this is this, this is the power of the series to show like how these clones are not automatons, but they have compassion and the ability to grow the ability to, like feel, which is why I picked my quote for today, which was the quote about how what makes us different than the battle droids. We make our own decisions, our own choices. We have to live with them too. Mm-hmm. It's Cody saying that. This is a Cody episode. And so what makes the clones better? They think, they feel, they react, right? And this little girl turns these two, I don't want to call them racist, but they're like insular, right? They are literally bred for a purpose and the purpose is to kill mm-hmm. and they're put on a planet and they're like 
They're like, you need to not kill. Like, we're not going to go in here, guns blazing, blowing all the shit up. We're going to go in tactically and surgically. And they're like, like yeah, these tailheads need to get out of our way to the point at the end where they're, they're like, oh, like, she considers us family mm-hmm. because of what we did for her. And, yeah, we love this little girl now. And I know I made the joke about my best, some of my best friends are Twi'leks, but... But that that's a path to tolerance and truth is being like like we we understand now that these these are individuals, they're people, they're trying to live, they're just trying to be safe. Mm-hmm. Right, and secure, right? Like, like it's about safety. It's all about safety. Right? Food security, supply chain security, housing security, financial security, all of this is all built into the same thing. If you want to destabilize the population, you start attacking those points of security. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful what they did here, right? They they took these two clones, which were probably literally like what eight years old, nine years old, and grew up in a completely homogenous society where everyone looks like them, looks like each other, in fact, um, and gave them this great moment to grow. Mm-hmm. And I kept saying Boyle, Boyle was the hard ass one, but when they're in the house and she's scared, like he like he melts too. Right. Yeah. These are the guys that quote unquote follow orders later and kill their Jedi's. But they have they have like this moment of free will and this moment of like understanding and compassion and empathy. Makes them very human. I do want to talk about the word Nera though. So yeah. I watched this watch this show several times. Like I do for these things. And she starts calling them Nera when they first meet her. Yeah. They they take their helmets off and she sees that they're identical. Yeah, I think I think at first she's saying to them, "Your brothers," mm-hmm. right? And then at the end, she's she, the implication is she's saying like, "Like you're my brothers," mm-hmm. right? But also, I, I think it's really important to think to realize that that's the the diction that the clones use in reference to each other. They call each other brothers, and so the fact that they didn't know that that's what she was calling them the entire time. It hits a little bit harder emotionally when, when Obi Wan at the end says like, like it's their word for brother. Mm-hmm. They get it at that point. They're like, oh, like she's calling us. Like, like, like it's something familiar to them. What I'm trying to say, it's like, it's like their word for themselves. Yeah. Right. And I think that really hits hard with them and like really drives that emotional nail into them. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think of the design of Ryloth in here? Because we, I I loved it. The um the weird um structures like um makes me think of like like Utah. Yeah, Devil's Canyon, or Devil. What's it? What's it called? Um, what's the Utah thing? I I know what you're talking about. De- shoot, it's not, no, it's not Moab. Um, no, not Moab. Um, shoot, my my wife keeps on talking about it when whenever. We, Whenever we talk about going on vacation by ourselves, and she, this is always a point of, like, she brings up like having to take the kids to this place and driving Devil's all the way. Oh yeah, but yeah, but that's that's in like one of the Dakotas. No, Utah's Devil's Tower. Is it? Devil's Tower National Monuments in Utah. Oh, I thought it was. That's what it reminded me of. Sorry. Okay. No, I, I I'm just it um not like Monument Valley, but whatever. If you've ever been in like. Southern Utah, near like the Four Corners area, they've just got like right. 
massive just rock spires like mesas yeah so the the Ryloth, the structures we're talking about in Ryloth, they're, they're like these bulbous things that are standing up on like stilts, but they look geological. Mm-hmm. They look like they look like a mountain or like a plateau where part of the base was washed away or something. It looks really fascinating to me. Yeah, it's like something out of like um, like that Dali painting, like the um, not the persistence of memory, the the other one with like the elephants with the super long spindly legs. Just for, it's kind of like unnerving. A little bit, um, but it's it's a cool feature. I I, I like stuff like that. Like the um, it's kind of like in the Avatar movie, the uh, the Blue Kitty Avatar, not the Last Airbender, but uh, where they've got like just crazy um, crazy geological formations. Like there's areas that are just like it's like got like a weird magnetic pole, and so there's just pretty much like rocks floating. Right, right. That's that's a good. That's a good parallel to that. Yeah, and um, um, I wanted I wanted to tell a Salvador Dali anecdote if I could for a second. Okay. So he made a bunch of sculptures of elephants and giraffes to match those paintings with the long, super long legs. Mm-hmm. My wife and I were in Bruges um, in 2017, and Bruges is a tourist trap in Europe. If you watch the movie In Bruges, it's that. It's that. It's about that lame. Right, it's mostly Americans there. Is it? Wandering. I don't know. I didn't like that movie. You didn't like that movie? No, I only got through part of it, and I'm just like, people said this movie's great. This movie's terrible. Well, but... I liked it, but <laughs> I like, I'm I'm not a what's his name, Colin, what's his name? Uh, Farrell. Colin Farrell. I'm not a huge fan of his, but I thought that movie was pretty good. But the city of Bruges sort of sucks. Sorry. Um, it, it, I don't do tourist trap stuff. I try not to, but I was going to that part of Europe with my wife a bunch of years ago and we decided to go. We had a fun time, but um, it's a lot of Americans. But while we were there, we realized that there's a Salvador Dali museum. And by museum, I mean gallery. It's one of those museums. If you're confused what the difference between a museum and a gallery is, a museum is where they have a bunch of art. A gallery is where they have a bunch of art with price tags on it. (laughs) Everything in this place was for sale. They had thousands of pieces of Salvador Dali art. And you could just walk around. And we had like someone walking with us, like asking if we wanted to buy a $10,000 painting. Right? And said they'd ship it back to the States for us. We obviously did not. But they had one of these statues in the middle of the room. And they would let you like stand under it. It was huge. I love that place. Hmm. Like all art galleries should have price tags on them. Right, because they would let you do anything you wanted as long as you pretend like you're going to buy it. <laughs> you just, you, you just go. They won't let you in, so you just go to the nearest scarf store and buy a scarf and like some like big thick glasses. Then act yes, pretentious. I, yes, I got I got some uh, beeswax and curled my mustache, and then uh, I got a monocle and slicked my hair back and put on a trench coat and a scarf and went in. And spoke French, and they let me do whatever I wanted because they thought I was going to spend twenty thousand dollars on a statue yeah. of a giraffe. Did you smoke a? Did you have like a cigarette lit, but it was like all the way. It, it was like it's not like the tips of your fingers, but it was all the way at the. It was all the way at the where your fingers meet your hand, and you're just like, and you're just like pressing your pressing your hand up to your face, just like I do not No, because I have one of those trumpets that you put the cigarette at the end of. The cigarette holders, Ooh. so you don't have to actually touch the cigarette. I'm on a philistine. 
Is that offensive? Uh, Are there Philistines alive today? I don't know. <laughs> don't know how to smoke. <laughs> What's wrong with no, the kids? No, I, I, I really, I really enjoyed being in that museum and seeing that giant giraffe statue. Mm-hmm. It was, it, I think, it was twenty thousand euros. So we did not buy it. Yeah. I had to buy a Star Wars pinball machine instead. You've <laughs> <laughs> got priorities. One's going to appreciate in value. And ain't the dolly. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I, I, so there's something actually I wanted to say, and I don't know if you want to cut it um, back to when you're talking about it, but uh, Cody handing Obi-Wan his lightsaber is a reference to episode three where he hands Obi-Wan his lightsaber and then immediately is told to kill him. Yeah. Um, good call. I didn't put it in the notes because I wasn't sure if we we're going to talk about it or not, but they, uh, it's shot for shot the same. Like it's the same, it's shot at the same angle and everything. Yeah. Um, it's the exact same. Like he reaches, like they animated Cody to be the exact same as the actor. Um, Tamara Morrison when he does it in the movie. It's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful quote. Yeah. There's actually a, a, in the, the episode three novelization by uh, Matthew Stover, like Cody has some inner monologue right after he, he gets uh, order 66. It's like, Oh, why are you telling me now after I just gave him back his lightsaber? Yeah. (laughs) Something like that. No, that's a hilarious moment. And another reason why that book is the goat. All right. Do you want to get to some trivia? Or is there sure. anything else you want to talk about from the production design? Uh, no, I think we've covered everything. When the ships are coming in for the Normandy landing, the troop transport that Obi-Wan is in is um, called the Crumb Bomber because it has salacious crumb on the nose cone. <laughs> it's got, I forgot to look up what the Arabish is, but it's got something dirty written in Arabish on the nose cone. <laughs> like, like, how about more of these or something like that? Ah. Uh. Um, when you land in the jungle shortly after that, you see some gut curs that are feeding on a cancel, which are those giant dragonflies that Anakin and Obi-Wan ride in the movie, in the, in the animated movie. Remember that? No. You don't remember the giant cancels? Uh, no. So I'll describe it just for everybody. So there's a scene where they're on this, like, outcropping ledge and they've uh, they've rescued Rhoda the hut the baby hut and they see the twilight off in the distance on another landing platform and they have to get over from that landing from where they oh, are the other landing platform and yeah. Asajj Ventress is cutting through the door I forgot that, that 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 was on Ryloth it's not on Ryloth that's on Teth they're on Teth but cancels are a contaminating organism that's on a bunch of planets oh okay all right and they sh- they show up repetitively in Clone Wars as things. But you see you see the gut curves before the reveal in, in the dungeon feeding on the cancel when they're landing. And they scatter when, mm-hmm. when they when the ships land. Um, so there's a display screen in the Separatist Command Center that has like a grid on it and it's modeled after the tactical display in the Millennium Falcon when Luke is shooting down TIE fighters. Very cool. Yeah. Um, and so this is also the first appearance of the production, uh, first appearance in production order of the tactical droid. So these, we know that these shows were developed out of order from their airing. I think we've seen a tactical droid 
in our viewing order at this point. But this was the episode when they're, and I said this is one of the episodes where they pitched it in the first like ten episodes, in the first meetings that they had, that they wanted to make something where a kid was rescued. Um, so this was where they wanted to come up with a new kind of droid that would add stakes to it, but wouldn't be an organic. Right? We've already talked about how they can't have. Dooku and Ventress in every single episode because they have to win, and if they keep beating the supervillains, then the supervillains lose stakes. And so they have, like, Lot Durd, like the fat Nemoidian, and other characters showing up all the time that can be defeated, um, like like the spider guy, right? Whatever his name is, I forget his name. Trench. Um, these, these are one-off characters that are can be defeated, but not lower the stakes of the war. And so they decided that they would make these tactical droids that were much better thinkers than the battle droids. Um, We also talked about this with the commando droids on the Rishi Moon episode. These commando droids were also sort of a solution to this problem, where they need better droids. Uh, The creation of this droid, they made nine of them, I think, and they all had different color schemes, but they're supposed to be individuals. But they all have similar voices, and the voice is based off the character Lucifer in the original Battlestar Galactica. Um, so there's a Battlestar Galactica reference for everybody. Are you a Battlestar Galactica fan? Was that the diamond, the character that had like a diamond head? Let's look it up. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it was the diamond-headed character. Um, so the battle droid, or so the tactical droids voice is based on Lucifer from the original Battlestar Galactica series. Did you watch the original or did you just watch the remake? Um, I watched some of the, um, the, the original, like, um, in like the early two thousands and I, and I had just, I had just moved and I, I was working construction and like where, where I live, like you, you get off work at like one o'clock. Um, and so all of a sudden just, I was just, Going through the uh, like the uh, like just watching TV, all of a sudden it's just the very beginning of Battlestar Galactica. It was like a marathon, and so I watched like like a bunch of episodes. So I, I got to see like the very beginning of um, Battlestar Galactica, but I eventually kind of faded because it got a little bit ridiculous, a little bit more ridiculous, and just uh, I don't know. Then my friends, my roommates, got home. <laughs> But. Sure. Well, he's based on that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I, I watched Battlestar when I was a kid, so I I don't know if I've seen. I, I'm sure I have not seen them all, but yeah. it might be a fun thing to go back and look at now. Did you watch the new one? Um, the remake that came yeah. out. Oh yeah, yeah, I loved that show. It, it kind of little, kind of painted itself into a bit of a corner near the end, but it was still great. All right, maybe I'll catch up with the new one then. I mean, you've never finished it? No. No, I stopped watching it because the kids were kids were little, and I was I took a a pretty big break from TV right around it was right around when it was finishing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I think it's uh, yeah I I still think it's great. I, we need uh, Edward James almost in uh, in Star Wars. Yeah, agreed. All right, I got a couple Arabesh things to get through. 
Um, the Arabesh on the tactical display inside the Separatist um, compound, um, for some reason, translates to comic relief throughout the episode. Like it flashes up and whatever's written on the screen says comic relief. And then when Kenobi's using the cannon inside the Separatist base at the end, he has a coordinate screen in front of him, and the coordinates in Arabesh read X11Y38. It's reference to THX1138. Oh, that's cool. I always love a good uh, like THX uh, um, reference. Yeah, so it's hard to hard to get upset when they reference THX1138. Um, that's pretty much the extent of the trivia I have for this one. I there's a lot written about this episode, but it's it's very repetitive because I think Filoni branded this episode as something that he was very proud of. Um, and so there's a lot of, like, look at what we achieved. And the last thing I'll talk about production is sort of the crowds. So this is one of the episodes where it was toward the end. They spent a lot of time on it because this is scheduled for the release toward the end of the season. And we've had crowds in the past. And I think we talked about the pirate crowd being paper dolls they just made a bunch of variations of like hands and clothes and female and a male and then they just scrambled them and got a pretty effective crowd out of it in the pantoran episode trespass they just reused the same pantoran over and over again and if you see scenes of like where there's more than one guard in the scene they're all exactly the same person they're just background and so no one notices Mm mm-hmm and then the Lerman, they made four Lerman, um, they made four Lerman models, and then they just reused the Lerman models over and over again. In this episode, they made more than twenty different Twi'leks. They animated more than twenty different Twi'leks, and then they made variations of those twenty. It is a huge diversity of crowds. They made thin ones, fat ones, short ones, tall ones, thin ones with different shaped leku, right? Different forehead ridges. All of these, the stuff. And they just went hog wild with, with them. And so every one of those Lerman are independently animated. Not Lerman. Every one of those Twi'lek are independently animated. <laughs> um, they could have used some Lerman in this episode. <laughs> no, they couldn't have because then they wouldn't have attacked the, <laughs> yeah. the tactical droid. <laughs> yeah, but T-Walk hobby in there and be like, I guess you're all going to die now. Yeah, I guess you're, you're all centers. Fight back. <laughs> you're centers and you're going to hell. I'd rather die, personally. Here, put on these new tennis shoes. This, uh, like the comet's gonna take us away. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking cult leader. (laughs) You need to get a picture. uh, You need, or well, I could do it too, I suppose. Uh, I'll get a picture of um, just like a like a headshot of like from like let me like the shoulders up, and then put like the Jim Jones sunglasses on him. Do you work on the cult leader? Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'll work on that. <laughs> anyway. Um, oh, and I just want to say, I wasn't actually trying to do a, a, a Scottish accent. I was just, just just being condescending. So don't think that that was me trying to do a Scottish accent. I can actually, no, I can't do one. But uh, if I did try, it would probably be much better. It would probably sound Australian, but... I'll send, you, I'll send you a photo of my progress painting Tiwaka. Does this shame me? Because I don't have any good hobbies? That's my goal, is to shame you. <laughs> well, job well done. 
yeah so so the the crowds were all independently animated the the flea things the gutkers they were one animated thing they just repeated them over and over again and just changed their texture and color a little bit but they only animated one of those you can actually see like like the one that the 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 model they used had some damage to the face like a dent or something and they all have the same dent but you get to use texture and and it, it looks like a, a whole herd of different independent acting things even though they're all exactly the same shape and size yeah i mean how i wonder i mean you just uh, control c control v <laughs> but wouldn't you i mean yeah no, I would. We're spending I totally fifty thousand dollars a minute making these fucking things. Yeah, I would just like, like, I guess I don't know how they do it. If they just can make one just a little longer, or a little taller, or whatever. But I guess that's 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 a lot of money. So sometimes it's just easier. Just eh, here's a bunch of the same thing. If this is for kids. Nobody's going to pay too much attention. Yeah, no one's going to go through this with a fine tooth comb. <laughs> no one's going to care. No one's going to do a thing called a podcast about this. We're in the clear. In the clear. That's all for trivia and production for me. I think I think for from my from my point of view, this is clearly the one that they cared about and they went the extra mile on everything as far as production goes. Messing with like tone, like heat and tone of the colors, adding juxtaposition in between the background and Numa, making sure that shadows and light were working together. Still a couple continuity errors in the animation, but that can be forgiven. Obviously, obviously, it's not impacting our enjoyment of it. But the whole thing, I just, I just really love the this episode um, overall. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about the fortune cookie real quick to make sure that it fits? Yeah. So I was thinking about it. Um, the cost of war can never be truly accounted for. Um, I think it it fits because it's. Um, when you think about the cost of war, it's like, oh, the damage is done, people killed, um, things destroyed, whatnot. But I think in regards to like uh, Numa's character, like what it's done to her, that's not something that's quantifiable. Yeah, I agree. I think this is spot on. It's probably one of the best themes that we've gotten so far, because I think this is talking directly at Numa, saying like, like yeah, the cost of war is her trauma more than anything else. So, and I I agree with that from a personal and professional point of view, right? We don't know how bad we fucked up, like or how bad that that things can get for people, right? And we make these decisions and impacts them in very profound ways. So yeah, I agree with this. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find an alternative one. Sometimes I can find alternative ones, but this one seems to be consistent for this episode. One thing I forgot to do, what I wanted to do, is I bought that super expensive comic, and there is a comic with Numa in it. So I think next week, if I remember, I'll go over that comic in our discussion. It's a very short comic, but remember the comics I was talking about? Yeah. Yeah, so this this episode had one, but I forgot to summarize it. But maybe I'll do that next week. Do you want to move on to the rating? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So now's the time where we rate an episode. We rate episodes by a Star Wars character. So a really great episode would be uh, original trilogy character, Han, Luke, Leia, Vader, Chewie, etc. A really bad episode would be uh, a character who is either just completely worthless, um, 
um, so that like if they were just removed from Star Wars, you would never notice, or just a character that's just just so dumb, you're just like, I can't believe this thing exists. So Matt, what what is your rank? Um, just for the overall gravity and importance of this episode, um, I'm just gonna I'm gonna give it a Padme. Padme, okay, all right. I think it's that important. Big, that's a that's a uh, that's high praise. It's a very important character. Um, yeah, I'm giving it a. Uh, mine's a little bit on the nose, but I'm giving it a Hera, uh, just because of the Twilight thing. But it was a very good episode. I really enjoyed it. Very self-contained. Like even if they didn't. Even if the previous episode didn't exist, this would still be a great episode. And all you got was just like the, the background of like, hey, this is happening. Um, and then there was never any follow-up to like the rest of the, the, the battle. This is still just a good self-contained episode. And this character growth from the clones, um, some cool battles, and just cool use of animation. Overall, a great episode. I like that idea, though. I like the idea that it's almost two episodes. It's like this cool battle and and this sort of cost of war episode. I think they I think they stitched them together really nice. Mm-hmm. All right, can I roll my die? Yeah, go for it. We we'll let the fate decide. Huh? I just happen to have a chance cube here. Blue, it's the boy. Red, his mother. Red, his mother. All right, so during these episodes, at the end, um, I roll a d20, a 20-sided die from like a Dungeons & Dragons-style game, um, to determine what episode we review next. And if I roll a 1, we will review an episode from the 1985-86 series Ewoks. And if I roll any other number, we will review the next episode of Clone Wars in Continuity Order, which in this case is Liberty on Ryloth. So I will roll this die. And I will film it just in case I roll a one and you call bullshit on me. So, ready? Yep. Oh, shit. It's a one? I rolled a one. <laughs> okay. I rolled a one. So now we got to do an Ewoks episode... Um, let me look up what Ewoks episode we have to do. It is the second episode, and it is called... We did Cries of the Trees, and so we have to do The Haunted Village. We knew this was coming, so we got to take a, a week break from Clone Wars, and next week we will be reviewing The Haunted Village, which is Season 1, Episode 2 of Ewoks from 1985. Now I will text you the role just so you know I'm not bullshitting you. All right, do you want to play this out? Yep. All right. Thank you for downloading and listening to this episode. We would also like to thank Jordan White for the use of his cover of Yub Nub as our intro and outro music. Please refer to the show notes for photos, clips, and links from this episode. Side effects from listening to Yubcast may include dizziness, dry mouth, a sense of confusion, and decreased sex drive. Serious side effects may include speaking in Ewok, speculating the origins of prequel characters, and wondering why two grown men discuss children's cartoons on the internet. For a complete list of side effects or to complain about the show, 
Please visit us on Twitter at Yubcast or drop us an email at moochbaderproductions at gmail.com. Thanks again. We'll see you again next week with a new episode. Yubcast is not affiliated with Lucasfilm or the Walt Disney Company. Star Wars, its characters, and creations are the property of Lucasfilm and its parent company, the Walt Disney Company. Yubcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Da 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 da